This is Caged Minds MMA Show. I'm Micah Frankel. Whether you're watching or listening, thanks for hitting play. Appreciate everybody that subscribed, every view, every like. It's all appreciated. Also be appreciated if you keep up with what we're doing on social media. That's Facebook, Cage Minds Combat Sports News, Instagram, Cage Minds underscore CSN, Twitter, at Cage Minds MMA. Follow me on Twitter, at Frankel Micah. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, Cage Minds, wherever you listen to your podcast. If you're not listening to it, if you're listening, don't forget there's Cage Minds MMA show on YouTube. Appreciate those of you watching. Also, don't forget, also, on the podcast side of things, I'm part of MMA After Hours and Pro Wrestling After Hours on the After Hours Podcast Network. We're up to four shows on the network. Check it out. A little something for everybody. we got weight loss. we got football, wrestling, MMA. Who knows what show will be added to the After Hours Podcast Network next. Hey, not to forget, you can also hear me on a lot of the Mike Adams 2.0 podcast. Also, like and subscribe to that one. But let's get to the business at hand. That's MMA. That's what we're here to talk about. And the first week of fights for 2022 is in the books. It started off Wednesday, Kansas City, inside of what is lovingly called the Fight Church, Invicta FC 45. And yes, we have a new women's atomweight champion, Jessica Delboni, defeating and dethroning Alicia Zapatella in the rematch. This was pretty definite, but highly competitive throughout. It just seemed like Delbani was one step ahead of Zapatella, shutting down the takedowns, getting the superior positions. Even though she wasn't able to find a finish, I didn't think that there was a moment where Zapatella was really on the verge of a finish. And in the striking realm, you could see that Delbani was landing the better work. She was doing more damage landing the more impactful strikes. The combinations were beautiful. Even though they were impactful leg kicks, she was able to land a ton of them. There was rumor heading into this fight that Zapatella was already eyeing a move up to 115 pounds. Now we know for a lot of atom weights that is the end goal because the UFC has the straw weight division. But it also, you have to wonder, they're now one and one do we get a trilogy fight? Do we get a rematch? Doblani Zapatella 3. The first one was a highly contested split decision went Zapatella's way. Now you get the unanimous decision highly in favor of Doblani who was able to regroup and show that she corrected a lot of the mistakes that she made in the first fight. She improved more. Interesting to see which way Zapatella goes. We also got the debut of Ramona Pasquale. She gets a TKO, 60 seconds, knee to the liver, does the damage, big hooks finish it for the southpaw. Haley Cohen, the grappling was magnificent. She gets the takedown, the ground and pound opens up the back take, and she submits Monica Franco in the second round with the rear naked choke, and Katie Skull puts the wrestler Tamika Jones on the fence, gets the takedown, has the back, is searching for the rear naked choke. Jones is able to turn inside of the guard, but is then forced to submit 
from the armbar. Six fights in all, four finishes for the first Invicta of the year on their new homes Wednesday night. And this one was free, still available on their YouTube page. Bleacher Report, Friday morning, had one championship, heavy hitters. That light heavyweight kickboxing world title fight called off the card. The world one strawweight women's MMA champion, Zhang Xing. She does retain a spectacular defense. One championship, they're back in action. And we'll be talking about them more here in a couple weeks. Friday night, you had Legacy Fighting Alliance LFA 121 kicking off the year on UFC Fight Pass from Dallas, Texas. And Fight Week, a change to the main event. Jones versus McKinsey. Off the card, Jones says he can't make weight. Catch weight cannot be agreed upon by the two sides. Chris Brown, Steve Jones, elevated to the main event. Take you to fight night. Chris Brown misses weight, unfortunately. Also, same thing, Elijah Johns in the co-main event. Miss weight. Guys, you're both phenomenal prospects. Got to get that issue kind of settled before you can progress. But to that main event... Brown versus Jones. It's Brown's kicking game. It's being able to move. It's the stick and move. It's not letting Jones, who is trying to close the distance, do so. An early takedown, but not much damage. You saw that cat and mouse game continue throughout the night, but it was Brown doing more damage, landing the more impactful strikes. The leg kicks were doing a lot of work. And then in the third round, it's the left hook for the knockdown as Jones goes to his butt. Brown follows. The elbows force Jones to give his back. And Brown pounds his way to a TKO victory. His third straight win in the LFA. And that is three wins now since going up to 170. Elijah Johns in the co-main event. 10 minutes of top time, out-wrestles Brandon Phillips, gets back in the win column, rebounding from the loss to to Bruno Souza. That was the title fight, but again, Brown and Johns both got it to get get it together on the scale. Isaiah Gutierrez, the guillotine choke of Keaton Gordon. Gordon had Gutierrez against the cage, made a couple minor mistakes, left the neck out there, gets trapped and submitted. Michael Cry defeats Alden Correa, handing Correa his first loss. It was a dynamic grappling performance from Cry, who nearly had a twister and forces the tap with the rear naked choke. And then opening up the card, Anvar Bainazarov takes out some quick aggressions. 21 seconds to take out John Pham. Jab, step in knee, and vicious hooks to finish this 21 seconds. Another high-level kickboxer, I mentioned that last week, who is living up to the marks. 3-0, three knockouts, putting together quite the resume in MMA. Now that takes us to Saturday, where we had the UFC. Our first UFC fight night of the year, UFC Vegas 46. One more time, back to the apex, a main event that we knew was sure to bring loads of violence and did not fail to deliver. Calvin Cater defeats Giga Chikatse by unanimous decision. If you guys joined, tuned in, joined, watched, listened last week, I pitched the idea that Giga Chikatse was one big win away from a featherweight title opportunity, from being the short-notice replacement to step in for Max Holloway to take on Alexander Volkanovsky. 
Jumping the news segment, that fight is obviously off. Max Holloway had to pull out right away. And it's the Korean zombie Chan Sung Jung that's going to be fighting Alexander Volkanovsky in the main event of UFC 273. Monday, I thought Jakatze had a chance to earn himself a world title fight. Tuesday, there's that announcement. By Wednesday, you're wondering, well, why did the UFC make that announcement so early in the week? Wouldn't the UFC want to see what Chikotse was going to do? Giga, with those last three knockout victories, the hottest name in the division, I know that Chan Sung Jung has that name right, and we talked about he was most likely going to be the featherweight title challenger replacement, but you had to give Giga that opportunity. Cody Garbrandt, John Jones, guys got opportunities, seized those moments, and turned them into world championships. The UFC knew more than we did. The first round, Giga Jakase lands some strong kicks, but slips, and Calvin, K- and Calvin Cater after that is making Jakase just survive on the ground. A step ahead, flowing nicely, and working on the kickboxer. Rounds two through five, it was that Cater jab dictating the pace walking down Chikotse. There was nothing that Giga could throw that would nullify the forward pressure of Cater. Vicious body kicks landing, but Cater was wisely switching stances, not making that liver available, and rolling with the kicks going in the direction that they were coming at to nullify, or the direction that they were landing to, nullifying some of the power coming off of them. Not to mention stayed in the pocket, in boxing range, and kept Jakatze on the back foot. You can't kick going backwards, and running backwards is also going to deplete the gas tank. Not to mention, just a heavy dose of offense. Headhunting. You not necessarily want to do it. A lot of the concerns that you would have about Cater's game plan, it just worked out the opposite on this night. His jab, his boxing-centric approach... It worked out beautifully. He was able to take his aggression, his pressure up a notch to Max Holloway levels, taking some of what happened to him a year ago and doing it to Giga Chikatse, never allowing the Georgian to be able to set up, not for long periods of time, and never allowing Chikatse to dictate the pace, the pressure, or when they were exchanging. That's also very crucial. Because of the distance, because of the pressure, it was always Cater dictating the exchanges. Jakatze cannot earn respect for the whole night. It ends up being 157 to 128 in landed strikes. But definitely, the more devastating strikes. Cater's nose is broken flattened. But by now, it is just flat. It basically happens to him every time he walks into a cage. Jakatze is cut up just horrendously over his right eye from that jab. Looked to basically have a triangle of cuts around that eye. Brutal stuff there. One of the most violent fights that I think we've seen since Holloway Rodriguez. Only a couple months apart. But this featherweight division is brutal. Filled with killers. Serving up oodles of violence on platter. And to think that Alexander Volkanovsky is at the top of the food chain... You can understand that now even more, seeing what he's been able to do against a Brian Ortega who did so much against Chan Sung Jung, against a Max Holloway who was battered 
Calvin Cater, and Yair Rodriguez. Cater obviously learned a lot from that Holloway loss, took it, took the year, took time off, let his body heal, made those adjustments, came in with a tremendous game plan, and not to mention the elbows were crucial to doing damage as he would get on the inside and if he didn't land a punch, turn it over and use the elbow, even had some elbow jabs. Normally you wouldn't want to be the fighter using less weapons. Cater went to using his two hands and his two elbows. Normally you would want the fighter who's going to use more techniques, more weapons. Jakatze with his spinning back kicks, with his head kicks, body kicks, calf kicks, not to mention using both of his hands. But at the range that they fought at, Cater took away a lot of Jakatze's weapons and was able to beautifully, beautifully implement more elbows than we had ever seen him do before. You can see another level of toughness that was displayed by Chikatse in the same way that Cater had to display that toughness a year ago. It's incredible to think about how violent these main events have been. Maybe we should just go back to three round main events. The co-main event, it was heavyweights Jake Collier versus Chase Sherman. A rear naked choke finish for Collier in the first round. Who saw that one coming? They were exchanging heavy leather, but the faster hands were coming from Collier. Sherman was trying to finish his combinations with kicks, but Collier kept applying pressure. A high kick from Sherman was caught by Collier. He follows to the ground. The elbows for Sherman to give the back, easily giving the back from the mount position. And the rear naked choke comes from Collier. Chase Sherman. I really do feel that we saw his a maturation for him when he was in Island Fights. Putting together the win streak to get back to the UFC. But there still looks to be a hole in his grappling. And quite possibly the best Chase Sherman that we've ever seen may have been in bare knuckle boxing. Flyweight division ranked. Competitors, you got Brandon Royville getting the split decision nod over Rodrigo Borantin. The first round, more action, more activity from Royville. Borantin gets the takedown, but did very little with it. So you could obviously see that off of damage and effective striking being a Royville round. The second round, Borantin was chasing some submissions, had control of the grappling, landed a lot more strikes, so that was a good round for him. Into the third round, again, the takedowns, very little activity, though, from Borantine. There's an arm bar. It looks like there's a controversy. Tap. Maybe there was. Maybe there wasn't. But thankfully, once we go to the split decision, because we can't review it for that tap, the ref did not see it. The judges make the right decision in my call. The more activity in the first and the third round, plus that armbar nearly leading to the finish, Brandon Royval back in the win column. Also back in the win column, in rank flyweight action, we're talking about women's flyweight action. Caitlin Shakagan, now a free agent after this fight, improving to 17-4, and four, gets the decision win over Jennifer Maya. I was surprised how this fight played out. I was surprised at the adjustments that Shakagan made, all in a positive direction, sitting down on her punches. You like to have dynamic footwork, but it was almost to a detriment for Shikagian, the amount of act 
activity her feet would have. She wouldn't plant. She would throw, 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 and keep moving. So the strikes were really not what I would term as significant. In this fight, they were definitely significant. Maya wanted to get into a brawl, but was unable to. You could see Maya wanting to throw the hook combinations and end them with the leg kick, the traditional Brazilian chuto box Muay Thai combination. But the stinging punches from Shikagian would not allow it, and then you would see the overextending from the hooks of Maya lead to the clinch positions and the Greco-Roman kind of body lock situations that Shikagian would be able to score takedowns in the clinch. I didn't think that we would see Shikagi want to take this fight to the ground or be effective there either. Thought that Maya had the better jujitsu. I was wrong all across the board. A great win for Caitlin Shikagian, who I think has into free agency in a very advantageous position. If you're looking at Bellator, I think they need a name at 125. You're talking about doing the Juliana Velasquez versus Liz Carmouche world title fight in April. Well, where'd we go after April? Alimele McFarlane hasn't fought since he lost the title. To keep the division rolling? And we've shown and seen before that Bellator can find deserved value in fighters that the UFC is mishandling or mistreating. Not saying they're doing that in this specific situation. But Shikagian, I guess the UFC felt she had something to prove in this one. And now I feel she's in a great position in free agency. It was a successful Octagon debut for Slavikaz. Uh, Vyacheva Borishov defeats Dakota Bush by TKO in the first round. It was a soul-snatching left hook to the liver. Bush got the early takedown from a body lock. Borchev had to get up, gets clipped by a knee on the exit. Bush could see that Borchev was hurt aggressively went in looking for the finish, trying to land right hands. Did get clipped by the left hook. Got another takedown. Borchev had to get Bush off his back. Stuffed another takedown. Circled out. Put Bush on the fence. And that's when we finally saw that left hook rip, land, hit the liver, kill the liver, and Bush go down. Beautiful debut for a very technical kickboxer. Bill Agio has Anderson Preto a loss in his octagon debut. Algio definitely grinded this one out. You could see the fight IQ difference in this bout. Preto would load up like a madman. Landed some heavy leather early on. Shot in for the takedown. Definitely controlled the first round. But after that, you could see the gas tank from Algio went out. Well, Preto would load up for big punches to get into the clinch and look for the takedowns. It was more of an exhaustive effort. Loading up on the punches and not attacking the takedown because he wanted to get to the ground, but attacking the takedown because it looked like he needed to get that break, get the takedown and get the break. Agio never took a break, stuffed the takedowns, turned them into his own takedowns, and doubled up Brito in strikes in those final two rounds. On the prelims, Jamie Pickett defeats Joseph Holmes, outstruck Holmes in the second and third rounds. Pickett gets back in the win column. That's two in a row, actually. In the welterweight division, Court McGee defeats Ramiz Brahima. It was a unanimous decision. We're talking about 10 minutes of top time over the 15-minute fight. 
54-32 in landed strikes. McGee's pressure and grappling wins out. Brian Kelleher defeats short notice replacement opponent Kevin Kroom. Six takedowns, six and a half minutes of top time gets the win for Boom. And TJ Brown defeats short notice replacement Charo Rosa by unanimous decision. Six takedowns lead to seven and a half minutes of take time and a plus 12 in the striking department. Head on over now to the fight announcements, the UFC news and notes. We got adjustments to UFC 270. That's this weekend. Monsar Evilov is out, and Ilir Tapier will be fighting Charles Jardin. Alexia Lenik is out. Greg Hardy was scheduled to be facing Sergey Spivak, but Hardy suffers a gruesome finger injury over the weekend, and now it appears that Spivak is awaiting a replacement opponent for this weekend's pay-per-view card. Worley Alves is out, and Jack Delana Madeline will now be facing Pete Rodriguez. UFC 271 on February 12th adds a heavyweight bout that'll see Andrea Lasky against Jared Vandera. The UFC Fight Night on February 19th gains the rebooking of Joaquin Buckley versus Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. The UFC Fight Night on February 26th adds at welterweight Michael Gilmore versus Johnny Parsons at bantamweight Yo, uh, Yosana Nunez versus Juan Yan, uh, Wu Yan at flyweight Priscilla Cachera versus Ji Yong Kim. UFC 272 on March 5th will be headlined by the welterweight grudge match, once best friends, now bitter rivals, number one well-ranked welterweight contender, Colby Covington, against number six-ranked BMF champion, Jorge Masvidal. Yes, he won the belt. I know he's had losses since then. It was a one-time-only thing. I'm still going to call Jorge the BMF champion. And also in the lightweight division, that card has gained Devontae Smith against Eric Ghost Pepper Gonzalez. The UFC fight night for March 19th, at the, has added at flyweight, or has adjusted at flyweight, excuse me, Francisco Figueiredo is out, and Jake Handley will now be facing Alan Nascimento. The UFC Fight Night on March 26th has added a ranked women's flyweight matchup. Number 7, Joanna Wood, is going to take on number 11, Alexa Grasso. At middleweight, Abus Magomedov takes on Alas Garbov Kirmalov in the Men's flyweight division, David Dvorak is going to take on Matthias Nicolau. And in featherweight action, Leron Murphy faces Nate Landwehr. UFC 273 on April 9th will be headlined by Alexander Volkanovsky defending the UFC featherweight title against Chan Sung Jung. Aljermaine Sterling, Peter Yan 2 will serve as the co-main event. We also got number 5 ranked strawweight against number 7 that's Mackenzie Dern versus Tisha Torres. And in the middleweight division, number 10, Kelvin Gastelum against number 12, Nasruddin Amabov. The card is also gained at Bantamweight, Julio Arce versus Daniel Santos. <laughs> UFC Fight Night on April 16th adds Dakar Close versus Brendan Jenkins. The UFC Fight Night on April 23rd. At welterweight, adds Lewis Cosey versus Preston Parsons. And at bantamweight, Cameron Else will take on Algori Lejing. And at lightweight, Clay Guida is going to take on 
Claudio Police. The USC Fight Night on May 14th will see number three ranked flyweight welcoming former bantamweight champion Misha Tate to the division. Pair of news and notes on Bellator. Bellator has announced that Yaroslav Amoslav will be defending the Bellator welterweight championship against Michael Venn and Page in London. Contender Series vet 12-2 welterweight Michael Lombardo has signed a long-term contract with Bellator. Legacy Fighting Alliance has announced LFA 134 for February 4th. Hammond, Indiana, the main event, was, is a Bantamweight matchup. Tough 29 alum Dan Argueta faces unbeaten Brazilian Mariano Santos. In a lightweight co-main event, Josh Streaker takes on Miguel Jacob. And in flyweight feature fight action, Peyton Brzezinski is going to face Cody Davis. Friday night, it's LFA 122, St. Louis, Missouri. You have a flyweight title fight in the main event. Charles Johnson defends against unbeaten Brazilian Carlos Monta. A little bit of backstory on the recent journey of the LFA flyweight title. Victor Altamirano won the belt. Got a shot on the contender series. Johnson won an interim title, defended it, was elevated to champion after Altamirano signed with the UFC. And that was after defending, like I said, that interim title. So Johnson won three in a row, all in the LFA, subbing Carly uh, Pangillion. The split decision win over Yumi Horiguchi, that was to win the interim title, and then defended it with a TKO of Yao Camilo. Also, we've seen Johnson spend some time in the professional boxing ring. Malta stopped George Martinez with a body kick at LFA 79. His next two LFA fights that were scheduled, unfortunately, were unable to happen. We saw him return to the octagon at LFA 112, collecting a unanimous decision win over Jefferson Oliveira. So these are two explosive, dynamic martial artists. Johnson came in with a grappling background, and that's why he's went so hard to learn the striking arts. Well, Malta just seems to be a killer wherever it is. He's a top-notch prospect that has everyone's eyes glued to his next performance. The co-main event is in the lightweight division, Brant Moore versus Arthur Ostrazoulis. More, a seven-fight win streak. The last four have come in the LFA, three by decision. A dominant, dominant grappler who suffocates and demoralizes his opponents. Estrazoulis. Talk about big show experience. The guy has fought for ACB, Bellator, the PFL. Finishes in his last four wins, and three of them have come by rear naked choke. This is not going to be... A boring fight when it hits the ground because I really do believe it will and I think it's going to be ultra exciting when it does. In the feature fight position, it's also going to be a lightweight bout. you got William Starks versus Glacio Erzalio and you have Starks with a three-fight win streak. Two of those three wins by rear naked choke. Erzalio coming down from 170. This guy has had to fight Christian Aguilera. Aaron McKenzie and Chris Brown in his last three fights. The Brazilian is tough as nails and is never back has never backed down from a challenge. Jump on over to Saturday, head to the Honda Center, 
Anaheim, California. It's UFC 270. It's the heavyweight title unification bout. Francis Ngannou, the champion. Surreal gone, the interim champion. The former training partners. Now, I don't know if it's bitter rivals or if it's more about getting the job done. Even this week on social media, Gone offered up a, a good luck this week to Nganu. To Gone, this is about business. I think that with the separation with his coach, Nganu may not have the same feelings with the treatment and the negotiations going on with the UFC. And Francis Nganu firmly fixated on wanting to fight for a certain amount of money. And I understand you have to make value out of this violent, brutal endeavor. You're only going to get one go around, and this sport takes a lot out of you. You have to make it worth it. But is this mind too fixated in other places, worrying about movies, worrying about boxing Tyson Fury? He needs to be worried about Surreal Gone. But there's no information to indicate that Francis Ngannou has ever overlooked an opponent. 16-3, 12 knockouts, 4 submissions, all 3 losses come by the decision. A 5-fight win streak in less than 9 minutes of cage time. An absolute destroyer like we've never seen. Almost a Thanos-like ability to snap the finger, land the punch, and put people out cold. And a Francis Ngannou who, when he dethroned Stipe Miocic, did so in a fight where we saw leg kicks, we saw head kicks, and we saw takedown defense. We saw a measured approach to Ngannou that will be very important coming into a fight against a surreal gun who 10-0, unbeaten, and the trajectory, the rise to stardom has come fast, but it has come against credible competition. Gone four knockouts, three submissions. Three submissions. Very important. And also it's important to note that he has spent an hour and 15 minutes of live fight time inside of the Octagon in 2021. Wins over Rosenstruck, Volkov, and Derek Lewis. Tested against some of the best heavyweights in the world. Now if you look at the last four wins of Francis Ngannou, we're talking about also a who's who list. Beating Miocic, Velasquez, Dos Santos, taking out all the other names in heavyweight lore that would be ahead of you in UFC history, and not to mention also Junior Rosenstroke, both guys beating him, an incredible kickboxer in his own right with massive power. How does Gone react to an Nganu punch? We don't know that. Does Nganu allow Gone to dictate space, distance, and time of interaction? like he has throughout all 10 of his MMA fights thus far. It's intriguing to understand that Surreal Gan has pursued and effectively landed takedowns and implemented jiu-jitsu in ways that we haven't seen from Francis Ngannou. I believe one of his three submissions actually comes from a TKO with a guy tapping out, so that's technically a submission. You would feel that Gan is the more well-rounded fighter. Talk about that hour and 15 minutes of octagon time. We haven't seen Francis Ngannou since a six and a half minute fight with Stipe Miocic just shy of a year ago. How has Ngannou, who really did look much improved in that fight against Miocic, how has he evolved over this time? So many incredible questions to be answered. And a quick, easy question if you're going with Francis, if you think that the champion unifies the belts, 
and demands his payday and puts himself in position to rule the combat sports industry? It's because he has massive one-punch power. Stipe Miocic, lasting as long as he did, while eating as many clean shots as he did, is a testament to that once-in-a-generational toughness that Miocic possesses. Not saying that Gon doesn't possess it, but we don't know. He hasn't been pushed that way. We don't know about his chin. He's had the athleticism to avoid big strikes so far throughout his career. Can he do that Saturday night? This fight has so many incredible questions to be answered. And not, again, to forget that Nganu and Gon were both training partners in their infancy. You go back to the backstory that Nganu said Gon wasn't ready for the UFC when the matchmakers asked him about his training partner. This is a great bit of theater that is going to play out Saturday night. The co-main event is a trilogy fight. Brandon Moreno defends the UFC flyweight world title against the former champion, Davis and Figueiredo. There's a draw, and there's a Brandon Moreno win, but we're still going to go three. Mostly, probably in my estimation, because Figueiredo did defend that first time on short notice. So... It was the draw. It was the short notice draw. It was the fight everybody, the rematch, everybody wanted to see. Moreno wins by submission, rear naked choke. The division doesn't have a clear cut number one contender. Askar Askarov, Pantoja, Kaikara France all have arguments, but not a clear cut number one contender. Figueiredo and his management able to say, hey, the first fight with Moreno, such short notice. Give us the trilogy fight. Give us one more fight to turn it around, to take everything seriously. It looked like the weight cut on the short notice of the first matchup affected Figueiredo. It looked like the weight cut and the rehydration not coming together properly in the second fight. The gas pink being depleted and that high volume activity of Moreno. Not to mention Moreno, his toughness, his ability to eat the shots of the power puncher. All proved pivotal in a Moreno victory. Figueiredo, instead of training in Brazil, moved his camp to Arizona. We'll have the former two-division world champion Henry Cejudo in his corner. Looks ripped eight days out from the fight or something. This looks like a Figueiredo that understands. This is his last opportunity to be the UFC flyweight champion, and he's taking it much more serious. That still doesn't mean his power will be enough. That still doesn't mean his gas tank is going to be enough to keep up with a Brandon Moreno, who's unbeaten in his last seven. Yes, there are two draws, but five wins. A Moreno that has 11 submissions. That 11th was Figueiredo. Three wins by knockout. We're on the other side. Look at Figueiredo. Nine wins by knockout, eight submissions. The guillotines of Alex Perez and Tim Elliott. Very credentialed fighters, solid grapplers in their own right. And then the pummeling wins over Joseph Benavidez. But Benavidez, sorry to say, it was getting a little older, a little slower, had already been through some wars. Maybe those knockouts came easier than we all kind of gave Figueiredo credit for having this massive power. You look at the last three wins for Moreno, he did beat Kaikara France, beat Figueiredo, beat Royval. We saw the big win that Royval just had this past weekend. The flyweight division is excited, and I think we will learn a lot from this world title fight. If Davidson Figueiredo beats Moreno, I think we do go one more. One of these guys has to have two wins. I guess we're going a set of four because that draw exists if Figueiredo wins. If Moreno wins, he gets rid of Figueiredo. It's, again, power against speed, against resiliency, against heart. And it's hard not to say that the champion comes in as a big favorite because you really did feel that he's won most of the rounds of these two fights. In the feature fight position, 
And throughout this card, we're going to have some rebooking fights. It was supposed to happen last weekend, and according to the UFC website, it's on the main card this weekend. Michelle Fajada welcoming Andre Filio to the UFC. Fajada to knockout seven submission. His last two wins have shown a lot of growth, a lot of development, impatience coming over Nico Price and Chaos Williams. Fiajo, a four-fight win streak. The last three have been first-round knockouts against very good competition, including a win over James Vick. You also have in the Bantamweight division, Saeed Nurmagomedov taking on the number 15 ranked Bantamweight, Cody Stammen. Stammen has lost his last two to Jimmy Rivera and Marab Davishvili. So you can see from Nurmagomedov, this is his open door to a ranking. He's won three of four here in the UFC and two of the three by knockout. He's not the Nurmagomedov that wrestles. He's the Nurmagomedov that throws spinning back kicks and is a wild striker. On the prelims, According again to the website right now, I think things may change throughout the week. The bow order, so that's why I'm saying according to the website. Middleweights, you have Wellington Thurman against fellow Brazilian Hadolfo Vieira. Vieira looked incredible in his submission win of Justin Stolfoltz. Both fighters come in with seven wins by submission. Vieira, again, incredible heralded jiu-jitsu. Thurman, about three times as much MMA experience. Also in the Bantamweight division, we have Hayani Barcelos against Victor Henry. This is a rebooking of a short-notice fight that's been moved to this card. Barcelos, eight wins by knockout, two by submission. He's won nine of ten. And I feel like this guy, Barcelos, right there knocking on the door also of the Bantamweight rankings. Victor Henry has 21 wins. 14 finishes, 8 have come by submission, 6 by knockout. He has wins, though, over 3 UFC alums, 1 currently on the roster. He's beat Anderson Dos Santos. He's beat Kyler Phillips and beat Albert Morales. In the featherweight division, you have the short-notice replacement, Charles Jordan, incredible striker, 8 wins by knockout, 3 by submission, taking on Ilya Teporia, unbeaten at 11-0, has only been outside of the first round twice. Seven submissions, three knockouts, a heavy-handed Greco-Roman wrestler. In the welterweight division, Jack Della Maddalena welcomes short-notice opponent Pete Rodriguez to the Octagon. Rodriguez, 4-0, all four wins are first round knockouts. JDM, 10-fight win streak, Eight of them by knockouts. Somebody goes to sleep in this fight. That's going to be exciting. Early prelim talk. Tony Gravely takes on Simon Oliveira. Oliveira coming off the Contender Series on a five-fight win streak. Gravely, nine knockouts, two and two so far in his UFC career. Oliveira, that four-fight win streak has, or that five-fight win streak has included four wins by submission. 11 subs overall, and he has 5 wins by knockout, so that's 16 finishes out of 18 wins. Dropping down to welterweight for the first time, you can see Trevin Giles against Michael Morales. I've seen Giles win titles on the regional scene at 205 pounds, 185 pounds, now going down to 170 in the octagon to welcome in Contender Series winner Michael Morales. Morales has 9 of his 12 wins by knockout. Giles has actually won three of his last four, still making this drop down a weight class. Silvana Gomez-Jarez versus Vanessa Demopoulos. That's the heavy-handed 
Juarez with six wins by knockout over ten against the submission savvy Demopolis. Half of her wins come from tapping out women. That one rebook from last weekend to this weekend. And Matt Frivola is going to be welcoming uh, Gennaro Valdez. That's at lightweight Valdez. Also coming off the contender series. 100% finishing rate. Seven knockouts. Three submissions. Opening the night up. Kayla Hansen, who's 1-1 one one so far in the UFC, did debut in the octagon with a submission over Jin Frey. She's going to welcome in Jasmine Jody Vicious, who's coming off of the Contender Series and was a CFFC champion. So we got a stacked card, top prospects, heavy hitters. Oh my gosh, two world title fights at the top of the card. We're going to get an answer, hopefully, to the trilogy at Flyweight, and we're going to get to see who is the best heavyweight in the world. Cageminds.com will have all the results for you this week. Appreciate you, whether you're listening or whether you're watching. Thanks for tuning in.